0: Every time you have you go out, you have to print a piece of paper and sign it yourself and like write where you're going, what time you're going and why you're going there. And then if the police stop you, they can ask for it. And the police have been like checking uh, your grocery store receipts so that you're not walking around groceries just in the middle of nowhere that you bought like five days ago because that's what people do, apparently.
1: Hello there, my friends. Welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I'm excited to have Tom's Scoines on the show today. Professional cyclist, a total fan favorite, especially earning worldwide support while wearing the KOM jersey for five very impressive stages of the 2018 Tour de France. He's also won three mighty damn impressive stages of the Tour of California plus, and I love this, the fact that he is known for potatoes. And I quote, it's like other vegetables aren't even trying. Well said, Toms. Just wait, we've got plenty in store with this one. I caught up with Toms, who is holding down the fort at his apartment in Girona. Toms is Latvian. While I generally feel confident in knowing my world geography, I had to punch Latvia into the Google machine to find out more about his native land. So there he is in Girona, and in this conversation, he's able to explain to us, to our largely North American audience, what life is like in Europe these days. So they're on full lockdown. This is where your grocery store receipt can be used against you. We're going to talk lockdown, talk plenty of other things that are distractions from the lockdown, from his near 30-hour indoor training weeks, to planning a blowout party to end all blowout parties. That is his pending Latvian wedding. This is a good one for sure. Once again, just like last episode and the one prior, this is a video cast as much as it is a podcast. So please carry on listening as you go about your day today. But if you're looking for an enhanced version, we've got some very insightful additions to this conversation in the form of the video. Just scroll down to the show notes and follow along in the link that you're going to see there. Head to YouTube and search for Ted King Channel and look for the COVID-19 questions. Shifting gears, there's been an itch that I've been looking to scratch, and that's an attempt to find solidarity right now in the bicycle. Of course, we're all stuck at home. Look, there is suffering in one way or another all across the globe. Some is absolutely heart-wrenchingly severe. Other, suffering is mild. We're never going to be able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, so suffering is suffering, and we can leave it at that. Amid all that, I've heard over and over again the desire to do something together. So there is strength in solidarity knowing that we were going to come out of this pandemic on the other side. Given that Rasputitsa was slated for last Saturday, April 18th, given that it's one of very few events on my 2020 calendar that is A, within driving distance, and B, here in the state of Vermont, so that there would be no border crossings and the requisite 14-day self-quarantined, I decided to ride the course and create a challenge to anyone out there who is bummed to be missing out on the season. Because look, there are tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people who are signed up for cycling events and chomping at the bit. We don't know what's going to happen later this summer and into the fall and beyond. Now, I'm as optimistic as anybody that we're going to see a truncated season here in 2020 but who am I to guess? So to generate some excitement for those tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of riders and beyond to encourage the events that have unfortunately had to punt their events later into the calendar or off the 2020 season entirely to engage riders, to engage sponsors, to engage the events and people everywhere. I created DIY gravel. If riding a bike and being part of something that, that, interest you that is bigger than you these days is something you want to do just please head to com slash diy gravel to find out more i'm gonna leave the intro right there thank you very much for listening my friends next up tom's scoines Toms Scoins, welcome to the COVID 19 questions as hosted by <laughs> yours truly. Um, very exciting. Yeah, you we 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 postponed the call just briefly so that you could make a quick run to the grocery store. Although you just said you made a massive run to the grocery store.
0: Yeah, it was not a quick one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, give me give me because I have a rough idea of the geography of Girona having lived there for five years, you're in Girona, correct? Yep. Okay. Where are you living? Are you up on some hill where you have to like cart everything two miles? I, up
0: am, street, right? uh, I am in Montjuic, uh, however, uh-huh. I do have a scooter. And I mean, actually there's a grocery store right here, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, the last grocery store run I did was two weeks ago, Yeah, and I used the opportunity to take my scooter and go to like a big grocery store where I can find everything. Uh-huh. Uh Whereas, I mean, the selection here is pretty good, but for two weeks, it's a little bit limited. Yeah. Um, so I try to... <laughs> I kind of make a challenge for myself almost every time. Okay.
1: What's the challenge? I mean, we're, we're in an age of, of creating self-challenges. What's your What's your grocery challenge? Just how much food I can bring back. <laughs> is it... And then what's the metric? Is it how long you can go before going again? Or is it
0: quantity or dollars or euros I mean, I mean you can see the quantity but yeah. then obviously I try and make the food last also I try and not go through it like uh, through butter yeah but uh, I mean yeah I could definitely tell that this was uh, uh, really big nice I mean, so this this
1: was a scooter run is that correct yeah 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 and you have do you have like all your panniers filled up and like backpacks and groceries between your legs or how do you fit it all on the scooter?
0: Yeah, exactly. So on the scooter, I have uh, like a box in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not huge, but it's not small. It fits like a good sized grocery bag. Then there's uh, a little um, glove compartment kind of thing that's under the seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything else is on me. Well, okay, between my legs and on me.
1: So this is kind of similar to like if you owned like a Ferrari or a Porsche, <laughs> and, you know, the, the the only thing you can do is the little boot right up in the front. I mean, there's only yeah. so much storage for your groceries, but having a scooter and a Ferrari are virtually the same.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't think I am in danger of ever owning a Ferrari. So yeah. I need to make the most of the experience via my scooter. Fair. So I...
1: In my time in Europe, I never owned a vehicle. Um, I got by with, with... It wasn't even Uber then. I mean, taxis and riding a bike and walking everywhere. Um, obviously, there's municipal travel like trains and planes and automobiles. Um, but you know what I always wanted was the three wheeled ape poja. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a it's if a scooter and a pickup truck yeah. had a child.
0: <laughs> I want one so. I mean, you see them mostly in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember one time I saw one of them. Rolling down a hill while we were climbing. Uh-huh. With the engine turned off. Yeah. And the front wheel like super deflated. I was like, <laughs> first therapy, man. You're yeah,
1: done. Exactly. It's not often you could you could picture a vehicle that could endo, but or like, yeah. you know, high yeah. side and do yeah. it the flip, but I bet it could. Um, okay. So very good. Let's uh I got I got you for well. I'm hoping to have you for an hour or so. Feel free to do whatever. Oh, no no worries,
0: no worries. We can extend it. Now that I'm back with all the groceries, there's no rush. Perfect.
1: Um, let's let's take the first portion and talk about your career. Now you're you're every every cyclist favorite Latvian because I don't <laughs> think we know a whole ton of Latvians in the first place. You're you're known for your potato loving. Um, you became a fan favorite, I believe, for for most people and hit folks' radar. A tour of California, uh, I think Tour of California has largely been good for you. You have, you got three wins there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. This is this is also Tom Scoyne's wearer of the KOM jersey in the 2019, 2018.
0: I don't know. You you wore a KOM jersey at the Tour de France? Oh yeah, at the Tour. Yeah, I thought I thought we were still on California. Yeah, at the Tour, I wore it in 2018. Yep. Okay. So I think
1: both California and Tour de France are good places to, to uh, have, have received fan support. Tell me, like, what are... Give me your highlights. What, are, what, are, what have been highlights of your... Like, we're going to Quentin Tarantino-esque. What have been outstanding highlights of your cycling career?
0: Well, I mean, California is definitely on there. Like, uh, and I, I mean, all those three wins were really great, but the first win was a little bit more special just because for one, I got also the leader's jersey, Mm -hmm. but also I was on a Devo team. So to say, Mm -hmm. I was on a continental team and, uh, it was, uh, it was just more special because it was with the team, a small team with all the sponsors there. And it was just very, very big for us. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, of course, as you said, uh, the KOM jersey at the Tour was a huge deal as well. Mm-hmm. But if we look a little bit further back, then um, I'm really proud of uh, the year of 2013 when I was 5th at Worlds in under 23s, 3rd uh, at European Championships in under 23s, mm-hmm. and uh, also top 10 in Tour de year, which is a fairly good race for the young kids. Yeah.
1: No kidding. Um, and then how about BOSE? Like, and and not to gloss over these things that you've done because that stage that you won Tour of California, the first one, 2015. I was on. Oh, no, mind. I saw that Sagan was second. I was going to say that I I was working for Sagan. We were no longer teammates. That stage <laughs> was ridiculous, and you won by a minute and change. Yeah, total hats off to that. And then jumping to the other point, you won Tour of BOSE, which is like, you know, arguably north America's hardest stage race um, you pick some good ones to win
0: yeah Tour de Bosch was also super cool because uh, you're we were staying with the team actually we were staying in uh, the dormitories mm-hmm. uh, and like the director was cooking for us most days or the one year and uh, it was just like a really cool race to do with the team I was there because we were all like just happy to be there and we were all friends and uh, we didn't really know what to expect. But uh, yeah, I won uh, the GC, and there was actually just one jersey I didn't win. It was the <laughs> KOM jersey that I was second. That was, that's but that's every, generous way to give that up. <laughs> <laughs> every other jersey I won because I was still, uh, still uh, competing also for the Young Rider and okay. uh, the spring jersey we took on the final day as well. Sheesh. Um And then you get to
1: wear a special jersey because you are often a national champion. How many, how many Latvian national championships do you have?
0: I actually only have two. One in the team and one in the road race. So this year, I actually am pretty fortunate now that uh, the uh, championship, national championships will be only end of August. I get to keep it for like two extra months. Nice. That ain't bad. Well, shoot. Yeah. I think...
1: There are there are races being scheduled in the future and we, we anticipate there will be racing in 2020. Who knows? I was wondering what happens if your uh your teammate, world champion, Mads Peterson, like he could theoretically be
0: world champion for two years. Yeah, I mean, for sure. No one like everyone is planning on racing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it makes sense that I mean we will be able to race in August and September because especially in Europe, it's been one month in lockdown and oh. there's improvement already. There's more people coming out of the hospitals than uh, getting sick. Okay. Um, and it's been only one month and August. Well, it's like July is more than two months away. Right. So August is three, September is four. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be kind of interesting if Worlds didn't happen. Yeah. And that's got, got to wear like the jersey also next year. He's,
1: yeah. I mean, what a super cool win. It was sort of an opportunist win. He was, you know, especially going into the finale when he's going up against Trentine. I think everybody had assumed Trentine was going to pump him in the sprint. Um, and yeah, it's super cool to see uh, a really strong rider who is young and still in sort of a domestique phase of his career to like go fetch water bottles in the world champ jersey. Um, which is not the point that I want to get to. Let's... There's sort of two things. I mean, we can continue on the track of life, but now I also want to, I want to jump around to like what is happening with with the lockdown. Where were you when, you, when, when things first started to, to be locked down and races started to change? Were you doing Perry Nice or Torino?
0: I was on the plan for Torino, uh, but I was in Girona. I had skipped uh, one weekend of racing because I actually got sick myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like... Proper sick for the first time in my whole career, um, and uh, then yeah, I was not gonna go to strada So I'm hoping the strada still happens, which means that <laughs> I'm not missing out uh, because I really like that race, and it would be like very fortunate for me. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was in Gerona and then the Italian block because I was supposed to do Strade, Torino, uh, maybe San Remo. Uh-huh. Um, that got canceled pretty quick, and. Uh, then, not that long after, we were uh, told to just stay inside and uh, not do much else.
1: And it's such a cataclysmic change to to not just say, "Okay, like, okay, well, this race will be canceled, and this race will be canceled." But like, to affect your life and say, "Go, stay inside." I mean, I think Spain, where Girona has had some pretty strict lockdown orders straight away. Um, how are they enforcing it? How are you being told what what the rules are?
0: yeah, I mean, um, the team actually is keeping everyone like informed on what are the rules and what are the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Plus, I have local friends that keep me informed on how it's going and what's going on and what to expect and what not to expect. Mm-hmm. But uh, it definitely was kind of weird for to go from, yeah, you can just keep training and probably race like, I mean maybe next week or the week after. So like, yeah, you can only go to the grocery store. You can only go to the pharmacy. You can only go to the bakery. And the rest is like inside. Even like in theory, our apartment building that I live in has like a garden that's fenced around it. Yeah. And we're not allowed to go in it because that's a communal space.
1: Wow. So, I mean, we're talking serious lockdown. Uh, I think Spain was one of the first to say that no matter who you are, you can't go out and train. Like no professional athletes could go train. Um, yeah. And when you say you're, you're getting news from local friends, is this because largely the news coming in would be in Catalan? How's your Catalan?
0: My Catalan is almost non-existent. My Spanish is pretty good. Okay. Well, not pretty. Actually, not pretty good. But I can get by. I mean, I can have a conversation. But if I was watching the news, I would have to like guess maybe part of it. Sure. Um, but I mean... I would understand what's going on and I wouldn't understand what is... Especially nowadays, you can Google Translate every single web page. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are some rules that are super strict and I'm not 100% sure on why they're there. For example, at one point, they were considering... Only in Catalonia though. So uh, every time you, have, you go out, you have to print a piece of paper and sign it yourself. And like write where you're going, what time you're going, and why you're going there. And then if the police stop you, they can ask for it. And the police have been like checking uh, your grocery store receipts so that you're not walking around groceries just in the middle of nowhere that you bought like 5 days ago because that's what people do apparently. Wow. Uh, So, I mean, I think they also... I mean, I've never had any troubles. I've seen police all over the place. Well, not all over the place, but I've seen police and they've... They've obviously seen me because there's not that many people on the streets. Yeah. But I've never been stopped. So I guess I, uh, I'm lucky that I don't look suspicious.
1: And how about... I mean, it, it, to our uninformed listener and viewer, um, Girona is such a cycling hotbed. It's basically you live in Girona, you live in Nice, Monaco, or or Luca. And Luca's smaller than the rest. I think Girona per capita has more pro cyclists than anywhere else. How are you? Are you in a lot of communication? Do you, do you WhatsApp? Do you chat? Do you just hunker down and say,
0: see you guys in three more months when we're out of this? <laughs> are, are you communicating
1: with a lot of your teammates and friends and folks around town?
0: Yeah, we are communicating. And just like because a lot of people are in the same situation where their Spanish or Catalan is not amazing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to help out the people that don't have a friend that knows what's going on. Sure. Um, and just like, there obviously is, every time there's a new rule, you might like not realize that it's there. Um, and then someone's like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Like,
1: Any good stories of that? Like, so-and-so from New Zealand who doesn't speak a lick of the language and got arrested or anything?
0: I think the biggest surprise was uh, the first day that uh-huh. the lockdown started because they announced... They announced it was going to start on Monday, and Sunday we were riding as per normal. Me, uh, one Finnish guy, and uh, one of his buddy one of his teammates, um, and we did like a five-hour route. It was amazing. We went to Lot and uh, people there were just like like walking around town, like nothing's happening. Yeah, and Droda was a bit more quiet. Um. Uh, and then we started hearing that people, like other cyclists, are being stopped by the cops and like told that you could get a fine mm-hmm. for this and just sent home. And we saw nobody. It was great because for one, there was very little cars on the road. Mm-hmm. But for two, we saw no one. And I mean, we were not on big roads; we were on small roads, so that obviously helped us avoid. But it turned out we even didn't know that the lockdown actually had started on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> they just they just changed it. They announced it on Monday. It's going to be on Monday, and then suddenly they were like, "Nah, just Sunday." Well,
1: on one hand, that's very European to just be like, "Eh, let's do it on a different day." On the other hand, you know, coming from the United States where we are, we you know, fast action. You can do anything at any time of the day. Like you're in Europe, and everything shuts down on Sunday. So it's almost like a miracle that they were able to just say, "All right, we're going to segue the siesta into lockdown." How's, uh, how is, so how is your training? How is your, how is your motivation knowing that races continually are being pushed back further and further? Like you lay down a thick base and then you got to start
0: racing and then pull on the e-brake. What's your training like? Yeah, well, I, just because I was sick, uh, for a while there, like I had to take pretty much a week off, um, I was still kind of motivated to train a little bit and uh, I knew that if I go into the lockdown with uh, like higher fitness, then I can come out of it and get back to it a bit higher. Mm -hmm. So actually the first two weeks of lockdown, I was training pretty solid. Uh, Probably people will call me crazy because I did uh, one week of more than 29 hours. This Uh, is on the trainer? Well, one and a half was gym because I have a semi gym in my garage. Yeah. Um, So 28 hours on the trainer. Um, (laughs) Okay. But you know what? I realized actually on the trainer, you can sometimes do real quality workouts. Tim Um, Johnson taught me that. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I mean, then I shut it down for a bit. And now I'm slowly getting back to it. And hopefully, if not next week, then the week after the sky is gonna be blue and we're gonna be riding outside, hopefully. That'd be sweet. So we're a month in. You're a month in. Is that
1: right? It's a month of lockdown yep. so far. Yep. Um gimme like what are your what are your distractions? What do you do for twenty eight hours on the trainer? Do you stare at a blank wall? Do you play the Zwift? Do you double up and do double sessions? You watching movies?
0: I definitely have done a few double sessions, uh, two hours in the morning and two and a half in the evening. Mm-hmm. I also have done like a f- five hour ride just from the get go. Mm-hmm. However, with obviously getting off the bike and changing my pants halfway through <laughs> because you're just soaked. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I definitely get on Zwift a lot and I started. Um, in the last like two weeks, I started uh, chasing some badges and chasing some uh, accomplishments there because I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I also do spend a lot of time watching some YouTube videos, uh-huh. just because you can go on a Macklemore downtown video and then just it just keeps playing and you the time passes by a lot quicker. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how
1: about like what's your best? COVID distraction, independent of training. Is there something that you find yourself doing, whether it's reading a book, a particular YouTube video, a particular podcast, taking a nap? Like when you are in a, a place that, that you really need to zen out, how do, you, how do you pass the time right now?
0: I've been fortunate enough that I've actually have found things to do. Yep. Uh, especially because I am alone in my apartment, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would get uh, old pretty quick. Yeah. But yeah, things like uh, things like I've done a bunch of things like this where we do a Q and A, or I've jumped on a podcast of a friend or something. Uh-huh. Um, I also have been reading. Obviously, I've I'm now reading *Sapiens*, a book that a friend brought me, and I hadn't actually read it. Um, nice. It's a, it's a good read. And then, uh, yeah, I watched uh, the three documentaries on wine, the SOM documentaries.
1: Uh, is the
0: Netflix one, like the original one was SOM? Yeah. Well, it's not on Netflix here. Okay. I watched it on Hulu. Uh-huh. But maybe in the US it's on Netflix. Um, yeah, it
1: might be on this, that, or the other. The original one is, yeah, I've seen episode one or part one. Great series. To all you wine nerds, check that one out. Even if you don't like wine, it's a good one.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was just... uh, It was just surprising how uh, competitive and hard it is and how people really, really work for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, just learn... I mean, after that, I realized how people get into wine with all the history and all the different years and all the different things that you actually need to learn and know. And I mean, yeah, it's... uh, it, not just the tasting part of it is interesting because I mean, someone can be just shit at tasting because they can never like figure out their taste buds, but uh, just the hit, like just the other parts are really interesting as well. Yeah, I think it's in the first one where they
1: they're they're hitting a. A handful of quick interviews, and it's like pillars of state and doctors and and brain surgeons, and they're like hands down hardest thing I ever did was become a master sommelier, and I respect. Furthermore, yeah, yeah, I think I feel like people are super tasters. Like you either have something or you don't have it, and certainly you can train what you're what you're able to taste. But man, that yeah, eye opening video, folks, go watch Saw. Um, so yeah, speaking of you being all lonely right there in Girona in your apartment, you are engaged to be married. Congratulations.
0: Thank
1: you. Um, your, your fiance is in Colorado. Is that right? Yep. Abby Mickey, former pro cyclist hanging out in Colorado. How, how has that decision gone about where to be, how to travel, what, how you're going to pass this time together or apart. How would that all unfold?
0: I mean, so obviously it was not uh, an easy situation to be in. She was supposed to come uh, over mid-March. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much when the stuff really started happening and serious lockdowns started happening. And people realized how just like really bad this might get. And, um, so her flight got canceled, uh, and then we really didn't want to risk getting her a new flight because, um, if suddenly she comes over, but then for whatever reason, she has to go back to help family or whatever, mm-hmm. it would be a really hard situation to be in. Um, and obviously traveling right now, or even the, well for the last month and a half has been super risky as well, just with getting stuck somewhere yeah. or suddenly some country realizing, yeah, we don't, we want to close our borders. So screw you guys. Um, and obviously I cannot go to the States because uh, Trump said no Europeans allowed. We made one of these episodes
1: kind of political um, and and that was not appreciated. Not to say that anything we've just said is political. Um, yeah, that was pretty wild when he said no euros allowed. Um, I don't know. It seems to be an ever evolving Trump saying something and then a day later it being corrected. Um, but shoot, yeah, that's a that's a serious place to be, especially as a engaged couple.
0: Yeah, I mean. For one, what uh, we both didn't realize was also when the White House announced uh, that the uh, like restrictions on Europeans arriving. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they, said, they were saying like, oh, 30 days. But it turns out they were like, probably 30 days. But it actually is until they lift the restriction. So yeah. even though it has been more than a month right now, I still uh, am stuck here.
1: Which is nuts. And so like to continue to jump around on, on topics, there are races that are being forecasted both in the States, in Europe, throughout the world, at a further date. And certainly you can, you can take estimates and, and the officials can say, okay, we're going to have this on this particular date. I feel, I feel personally, it's kind of like throwing a dart at a, at a wall in a dark room to say that this is going to be the correct date.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree a little bit with that. Um, you never like, not, no dates are certain, no dates are set in stone. But just because I saw, see how, like, even in Europe now, there, there are several countries that are lifting some restrictions at least. Mm-hmm. And Spain also has lifted some restrictions that were in place before. Uh, And it's not for no reason. It's because the numbers are going down. More people are leaving the hospital than people testing positive, which is a huge deal. Um, And we're only a month in. And as I said, it's like more than two months till July. Mm -hmm. So normally, if if you can plan anything, you would think that by that time... Uh, we should be good to go, but at the same time, yeah, we might uh, we might come out. We might spend two weeks in fresh air, and then it might happen again, and we might be stuck indoors again for two months. So,
1: yeah. All right. So it's fingers crossed that everything is going to unfold in this in this particular timeline. You seem, given this conversation and just knowing you in general, that you 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 exude a, a sense of positivity. So, like. Hopefully things go on as as per usual, and we'll have a season in twenty twenty. How do you how would you react if there was no season whatsoever, and we don't do anything until twenty twenty one? Is that okay? Is that annoying as hell?
0: I mean, I would be really sad and probably frustrated. Mm-hmm. Well, not really frustrated because it's not like I can do anything about it. Nor it's not like it would happen for no reason. It would probably be a pretty significant reason why it's not happening. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean <laughs> but I mean yeah, obviously it would not uh, it would just be sad. I, I really am hopeful that it opens up and for not 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 for for several reasons but one of them being because it would be kind of cool to like have the Giro in October. Yeah. Have Or, no, I guess, uh, yeah, in October, have the Welta in November and have all these races not in place they're supposed to be and be racing like nonstop every weekend, every week for three months, four months, because that's never going to happen again. You know? Right. Right. Like Milan Remo is never not going to be in March. And those, and it's not just one race, it's just that everything is like in this situation where, anything can happen. No one knows what to expect because now pro cycling has gotten into this rhythm where it's like, all right, well, now I go to Dauphiné, then I do altitude, then I do tour, then I take rest, then I do this, then I do that race. And so many guys are on the same schedule year by year. So I actually think it would be super, super refreshing to have something just like out of the ordinary thrown into like just chaos.
1: I'm totally with you. Um, with the quick aside, it, the the only one downside would be if a big race like the Tour de France, if it lands on a previously scheduled race, obviously all eyes are on the Tour de France and less so the other races. But it sort of speaks to how big cycling in it is and how, how many races there are on a calendar, which to the average cycling fan, it's way too many. Like They haven't heard of yeah. 98% of races that are out there. Um, that said, I think, this, this also speaks to my lack of cycling history. The Giro and Tour used to be super close together, and the, I think the Vuelta too, they reached each like something foolish, like a week apart. Quick interruption, my friends. Now, I welcome your insight here. I did a little bit of research, and what I revealed was the Giro d'Italia is generally run in May, the Tour de France in July, and the Vuelta in late August and September. We know that in contemporary times. The Vuelta, however, was originally held in the spring, usually late April, with a few additions held in June in the 1940s. In 1995, they moved the race to September to avoid direct competition with the Giro d'Italia. So, if that means the Vuelta was in April, the Giro was in May, and the Tour was in July, that makes for an absolutely gnarly calendar. Okay, interruption complete. MSR, Milan San Remo, is always going to be in March. Unless we find that oh you know what it's super cool to have it way later in the year so like it would be funny to see how this could affect things down the road who knows who knows who knows you are a a global traveler you are a a uh, linguist I presume since you're speaking with me in English and not Latvian what is what is upbringing like in Latvia what was what's your family like. Um, Go way back. How'd you you get into cycling?
0: So um, I had two older sisters, both of whom actually don't live in Latvia anymore. Mm -hmm. One of them lives uh, in the UK and one of them lives in Brussels. Uh, My parents are still back home. And uh, whenever I go back, obviously I stay with uh, my mom because the only reason I go back is to see her. Nice. Uh, and obviously see my dad, see my grandpa. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in a pretty small town of like, I think when I was growing up, it was like 5,000 people maybe. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I mean, small town on the coast, uh, not too far from the beach. So we were always outside. We were always doing random outdoor activities as, uh, kids. And, um, then at one point when I was 14, just on the age of 15, one of my sister's boyfriend at the time took me uh, to a mountain bike race. And then uh, I was like, Oh, that was kind of cool. I'll, I'll do that again next weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, soon after, yeah, I started training in a club. In Latvia, you have um, more of a club scene where all the kids are followed by one coach that always follows with a car behind you and you're training like a group of tw- 10 to 20 sometimes. Um, and yeah, you just uh, ride around and the coach makes sure that everyone does their exercises. So it's a lot of team time trial stuff, uh, some hill repeats here and there, some sprints uh, when safe. And uh, yeah, you you end up doing a lot of the same roads because I mean, there's not that many roads in Latvia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very very flat, but uh, it's uh, it's a good fun. Is it?
1: How's the the bicyclist motorist relationship? I mean, if you have groups of twenty out with a car behind, it's, it's it's very European. To our American audience, that would result in a whole lot of angry motorists and honking horns. Is it totally normal to see groups
0: like that? Definitely not super normal. But there's more and more cyclists every year, be that cyclists that ride to do a race, but also cyclists just out on the streets Mm -hmm. uh, to use it as a mode of transport. And uh, the motorists have become more... Just paying more attention to us. And uh, I've never had bad interactions with people on the road, even if we're riding two abreast, just the two of us. Obviously, there's every once in a while, there's someone that is not happy, uh, but he probably is not happy about something else. Yeah. (laughs) Well said. And how
1: about you and I were were chatting a while ago and you were excited that you're getting married in Latvia, which should everything work out as planned, I think even with the new schedule, then you can keep your original wedding date. Tell me about a Latvian wedding, because it sounds like a rager and I really want to go. (laughs) <laughs> That's not trying to get invited to your wedding.
0: <laughs> Latvian culture in general has a lot of um, symbolism in it. Uh we are pretty much pagans. So a lot of our traditions are super, super pagan. Uh-huh. Um and um uh, yeah, Latvian wedding is at least 24 hours usually. Uh sometimes it's two days, uh like two full days. And um the classic scenario would be that you start with uh, like, going to where the bride is and buying her out, sort of. By buying her out, it uh, usually is some tasks that the family comes up with that you have to do in order to prove that you're worthy. Uh-huh. Um, and then the normal classic ceremony happens. What, give week. me an example.
1: What kind of thing are you worthy of?
0: Like winning uh, a bike race or felling a tree? Doing some like chop some wood, for example. Okay. Far out. Or like I uh, made my sister's husband-to-be at the time uh, open a beer bottle with just a piece of paper. And not like a screw-top beer bottle that you guys have, but like, yeah. like one you have to actually use an opener. Ah, so. What a legend. Uh, That's totally worthy and, of yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, Depending on what the family is like, the, these are the traditions. Uh-huh. And then obviously the normal ceremony after which usually... It usually happens around, uh, let's say, 2-3 o'clock. And then the couple along with their sort of god couple, because we don't really have bridesmaids and groomsmen. Uh-huh. We have a couple that is responsible that helps you out with the wedding and stuff but also they are the god couple as in they would be the ones you turn to in order to like talk about relationships or like say you have some problems down the line or just for advice or whatever whatever yeah um and with them you go for like two three hours you're taking pictures but also you're kind of proving also um again proving that you belong as a couple, uh-huh um, and during this, there's some traditional things that you do, like uh you have to carry the bride across a bridge um, you a lot of times you take one of those you probably in Europe, everyone's seen like people a lot of bridges have locks with like dates or names or whatever, yeah, a lot of times you do that um and then uh. So you're driving while you're driving around, this is very interesting. While you're driving around uh, in a car, usually the car is a little bit decorated, so everyone can see what's going on. Yeah. and people that are not in the wedding, also people that are are in the wedding, but people that are not in the wedding, people you don't know, uh just random people on the street, they can stop you and make a gate sorta. Uh, Which you have, uh, it can be anything. It can be them lying on the floor, uh, on the street. It can be like made out of something. Like they can just put like branches suddenly on the road. I mean, it can be anything. Um, And then in order to get through the gate, usually you have to bribe them or they make you do something. So whenever you're like driving around, you have quite a few liquor bottles in the car. Mm -hmm. because you probably (laughs) will need them
1: making better and better decisions throughout the day
0: um okay and then uh yeah you come back uh you have dinner usually and then around midnight is the classic latvian ceremony that like the traditional latvian ceremony that's you always have a big bonfire going um And uh, there's, again, a bunch of rituals, a bunch of like symbolism in it. Um, And then you pretty much dance to like 6 a.m. or so. In my sister's wedding, I think the band was playing to like 4 or 5. Wow. And then the DJ to like 6 or 7. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, you wake up at 9. Also, a traditional is to go wake up. The newlyweds uh-huh. uh, in some sort of fashion. And uh, that sounds, yeah, well,
1: it sounds dangerous
0: if they're, <laughs> if they're
1: not sleeping, for example.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's part of the yeah. fun, hence the liquor. That's okay. part of, it is part of the fun. Um, and then the next morning, people are so everyone actually sleeps um, like right there. So when you're booking a place, you're booking a place that has bedrooms for everyone. Yeah. Be that like you could do it obviously in a hotel or a guest house or like we have a lot of uh, old mills that have been turned into like places that people have weddings or just parties. (laughs) Uh, And then so everyone has been sleeping there. Everyone wakes up 9, 10, whatever. And then uh, you still have breakfast. You pretty much start dancing again, (laughs) usually. (laughs) Uh, and then, yeah, I think at my sister's wedding, people started leaving at like two o'clock or something. Yeah. So would
1: you ever do like a full other day of party? When you say it's two days of partying, I see how this could be one day segueing into the next. Are there like mega ragers that go?
0: Yeah, it's that it's more, um, more common in, um, a Russian culture. Okay. But obviously, Latvian culture is very much influenced by Russians. Uh, And so, definitely a lot of time, well, not, it doesn't really go into another day because usually you book the place for just one night. Uh, But people are there out there that book straight away two nights and uh, just plan on being there for another day.
1: So, do you have you ever been to an American wedding? Do you find them extremely boring?
0: I do. I okay. have and I do. You're
1: yeah. like, I brought my sleeping bag. I'm here for a party. <laughs> I'm ready for tomorrow. <laughs> Why is everybody going home? Well, that's awesome. How many folks, uh how many folks do you do you plan on having at your wedding? Are they enormous affairs? The whole town's invited? Uh we're probably gonna have between sixty and a hundred. Okay. That's a good number. I think we had sixty in ours. Ours was merely within a few hours, but <laughs> you're going to you're going to have a blast that's super cool um yeah how i preface this by saying that the, the potentially new race schedule is not going to conflict currently what is not to tell the world when you're getting married but let's tell the world when you're getting married what's your, what's your date
0: <laughs> actually so this is the reason i mean when they first said that the tour is going to be postponed it would have clashed with the wedding because the wedding is august 3rd okay but We also were smart enough... Now the tour is even later, so it's not a problem. But we also were smart enough to not put it on a weekend because there's always a race on the weekend. And just because you have cyclist friends, you know that someone's not going to make it if it's on a weekend. That's freaking brilliant. So we actually put it in the week, which is also cheaper. Uh So it was a win-win.
1: I love it. Well, I know exactly when that is. That sounds like a Monday because... Our event rooted vermont we have a gravel event i don't know if you've heard of gravel it's a big thing <laughs> we have a we have a cycling event um how how about i have a infatuation with maple syrup and i love maple syrup and you are known for your fondness for potatoes um so much so that once upon a time i got i got pinged by the vermont i mean not vermont by the u.s potato association like, would you like to promote potatoes? And they're like, yeah, maybe. But you know, Tom's is the guy <laughs> who should really be doing it. Where did your fondness for potatoes come from?
0: Well, potatoes are just something that is a staple in Latvian cuisine. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of jokes about Latvians and potatoes, how okay. a sack of potatoes is worth more than a gold gold and... Sack of Potatoes feeds uh, a family of 20 for a month and so on and so forth. Uh, There's a lot of jokes uh, and they're really good actually. Uh, But also when you're on Hinkapi, Brian, he started making fun of me and I started defending potatoes because Uh they are amazing. Uh You can pretty much... I mean, it's like other vegetables are not trying. You can make so many things (laughs) out of potatoes And plus, not only you can eat them, but did you know you can actually light a light bulb with potatoes? Uh, I did not know that. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's like a science fair video Uh on YouTube that shows like a five year old lighting a light bulb with potatoes. Perfect. Pot- one
1: potato. This would be a good test of my video editing skills. Hopefully right now we intersperse a light bulb fueled by, by potatoes. It's I love what you said, how, how other vegetables aren't trying. Like art projects. When you're a kid in the States often, you work on cutting out a shape. You have half a potato and then you cut out a shape. And then you dip it in ink and you have this, you have this stamp hmm. made out of potatoes. Yeah. It's a pasta. You can make gnocchi out of it. Man. Yeah. Fries, chips, yeah, mash. Wow, vodka. scalloped vodka. I like I like what you're saying here. Um, you have a you have a go to potato recipe. What's what's just an easy go to?
0: Uh, I do definitely eat more sweet potatoes than anything, mm-hmm. um, and then a lot of times I would use them to I would bake them, uh-huh. and then. Actually, I've used them to make waffles. After you bake a bunch of sweet potatoes, well, for sure you eat one or two, but then uh, like, there's always leftovers and you can make them in waffles, you can make them in like oat bars. Um, I've actually done that a few times and that's really... I mean, it's really nice. I mean, yeah, you can do just so many things. I love it. Um,
1: are you familiar with a Japanese or Asian sweet potato? Yes. Oh man, that thing is so good to our our uninformed listener. Go to the grocery store and either buy a Japanese or Asian sweet potato. All you gotta do is bake them, maybe a little olive oil, salt, and pepper, and they're just so sweet and rich. And yeah. Like I, I'm with you. I love sweet potatoes more than than your average potato, but that's just the ticket. Yeah. Uh how much of your grocery shopping today in your Ferrari scooter was occupied by potatoes?
0: Uh, raw potatoes are probably like two kilos or two. Uh, yeah, more or less. Uh, but then we have other forms of potatoes there also. All right, I love it. Well done. Well done.
1: Um, I dig it. What's, uh, I I think I've hit all of my 19 questions that I was going to ask. So the, the COVID-19 questions have now reached their, their, their zenith. Um, Man, I wish you nothing but success through the rest of your season. I wish you nothing but patience as you get through your 30-hour indoor weeks. <laughs> um, I, I greatly appreciate the time. Oh, my pleasure. Um, it means a lot. So, cool. Well, folks, thanks for paying attention. Thank you, Toms. We will, we will be watching you on the telly. Have a kick-ass season. Thank you, Ted. Right on, man. See ya. that is a wrap thank you thomas thank you all very much for listening if you enjoyed this conversation i ask that you kindly give it the old five star rating please hit subscribe tell some friends tell some family about this podcast honestly it means a tremendous amount thank you for doing so And once again, please feel free to pay IamTedKing.com slash DIY Gravel a visit if you're interested in joining a worldwide movement to recognize what is cool about the original event dates. All of my sponsors, all of my partners are involved, so, so there are some awesome prizes already up for grabs. There's still plenty of time to participate in this first Rasputitsa one, and Belgian Waffle Ride is just around the corner. Folks, I thank you again. Until next time, please enjoy the ride, but do it solo.